mini-episode 1346 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at Sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge, mini-episode 1346. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here. And uh, I was just on with these two gentlemen recently, I said that was one of our most fun shows of the year, and uh, so too was the case today, because we're bookending the NFL draft, in this case the 2021 NFL draft. It's original FDH Lounge dignitaries, Jason Jones and Chris Galloway, along with original FDH Lounge dignitary, myself, Rick Morris, the three of us here. We broke it down going into the draft, now we get to break it down coming out of it, what happened, who won, who lost. Uh, the, 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 the real wussies of the world will tell you, you got to give it three years. You can't we say immediately who won and who lost. To that I say, poppycock. We will opine in real time like real men as we always do. None of this three years crap for us. And by the year, by, by the way, all those times I crapped on the Browns drafts over the year in real time, I didn't need three years. I was right. And uh, just to give a little bit of hint of what's to come here, to put over the Browns draft tremendously. We don't need three years. We can do that today. And yeah, you're going to get a lot of that. And uh, if you want to say hometown bias, fine. But like I said, I've crapped on this team for a long, long, long time for doing the opposite of what they did this weekend. And uh, as we get into that, of course, the man who pulls together the uh, draft rankings at FDH, the top 100 at FDH, our senior editor, Jason Jones. Jason, my man, uh, another big draft weekend coming and going, this time on America's North Coast. Under a better alternate scenario, you and your son would have been here with me, but uh, at least we got to see a lot of tremendous draft action this weekend and tremendous draft action for our favorite team. Absolutely. Uh, Real quick, let me just address what you just said. Yep. Uh, I've had this argument with people so many times before. Uh, that I've, I've, I've locked it in to a very short, concise statement. Three years is laziness. Yep. Any analysis, any analyst that says they're a, that, that you can't judge a draft until three years has passed is only saying so because they're not willing to do the work on a prospect-by-prospect basis. Because, yes, injuries will happen, off-the-field issues may arise, but right now, if you do the work, you can look at this and say, was this a good pick or not? And that's all we're really doing here is analyzing the draft. We can do that right now. We're going to do that right now. Yep. <laughs> so I, I always laugh when I hear that. Uh, you can't judge a pick for three years. Get out of my face with that garbage. I, I agree. And also, a, co- a critical component of this is market value. We all know what the market value is on players. And as funny as it was to see the thin-skinned uh, Las Vegas Raiders get butthurt and put out a tweet that was defending themselves for taking Alex Leatherwood at 17, 
we all knew that was a reach. It was a reach. And the reason they were getting criticism is because it was a reach. So uh, market value, we can tell you in real time whether you reached or not. And it's pretty apparent that they did and some other teams did as well. A man who never reaches in any equation in life is uh, my good friend, longtime friend, fellow FDH Lounge, original, original dignitary, Chris Galloway, here to help audit the proceedings, if you will. Chris, good to have you on, my man. How you doing? Doing well, Rick. Good evening, and uh, great to be here uh, again after uh, what was an exciting draft mm -hmm. here in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, it certainly was. There was a lot that went on, and to that point, I'll start with you, Chris, and I know that you were down there for some of it, uh, That for a thing where the weather was inclement on the, uh, the front end of this thing here. Uh, I will say, I mean, in the end, and there was less than I expected to see of the blimp shots over Lake Erie, I thought that was a big reason they were staging it where they were, but, uh, I mean, the visuals on TV, for as much as I might have been critical of some parts of the process and even having it here in 2021 in Cleveland, I mean, in terms of the visuals and everything like that, I think the networks all got what they wanted. Yeah, I would say having now experienced one in person, mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely a made-for-TV uh, event. Okay. Uh, I, I would say uh, someone asked me, you know, about it, and, I, and my response is, uh, glad I went. It was interesting. I don't ever need to go again. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, that's just the reality of it. I mean, unless you happen to get, you know, the $5,000 a seat ticket right up by the stage or something. Right. Um, which I, I know somebody who had one of those. He got comped by the, the local casino. Wow. Everybody was, uh, you know, uh, and, and I, I, I say this all in the context of this was a pandemic draft. Right. So we had lots of cross check-in and they heard you around through different levels of, you know, security and, and checking your, you know, your vaccination card and all this stuff. I, I think that obviously under normal circumstances, you wouldn't have any of those hassles. Right. Um, so, I mean, that was a drag, if you will. Um, I think it certainly affected attendance. Uh, the weather certainly affected attendance um, the first two days. Um, but overall, I mean, uh, it's definitely a made-for-TV event. So I would say to folks, if it comes to your city or it, you know, you're thinking about going somewhere uh, to, to, to see it, you know, I'd recommend go to a city, you know, go see it in Vegas. So you've got other things you need because there's just, it's, there's a lot of just sort of standing around and, and um, you know, the excitement of being there when they, the Browns were trading up for JOK was a lot of fun, right? Right. And um, uh, I'm so glad that I was there for that moment. And, uh, you know, so that made it worthwhile. But, uh, you know, it's, again, it's a great thing, for, you know, for each city's chamber of commerce. It's a great thing for the league in terms of, um, you know, putting the show on the road. And, and hopefully as we move through and the pandemic is gone, you know, um, maybe they won't be as the next, you know, the next one, like next year won't be quite so, um, you know, buttoned down a little bit. I mean, it'll certainly be much, much less so, if at all, uh, at that point, uh, I would think. And uh, Jason, before we move on here, I want to get your perspective as somebody who, I mean, it, it sounds weird to classify you as an out-of-towner given your roots here, but with the amount of change that downtown Cleveland has had since you lived here, was there any of the visuals and the way that it came across on TV that was surprising to you? Because uh, that's not exactly the lakefront in all ways that you remember from when you were here. 
Yeah, no, it was it was actually interesting, but in kind of a nice way. Like, mm-hmm. It wasn't alienating or anything. And I did, you know, as you're watching this stuff, whether you're watching, you know, the NFL Network, ESPN, or ABC feed, um, you're still getting some of this stuff. And there was, uh, before they would actually start picking, uh, and I don't know where it was geographically, but there was some stage, and I don't mean the draft stage, where NFL Network was. And every now and then, the camera would pull wide, and, you, and I would remember seeing um, the hotel just across the walkway to the stadium, right? Mm-hmm. You see, you, uh, they may not have had blimp flyovers, panoramic shots, um, which, which was funny to me because you know you see all these cars, and I'm thinking, is no one telling them where the green lot is? <laughs> I don't know why you're driving as close to the stadium. Right. But yeah, there was a lot of stuff there. There was, you know, I could still pull from my Clevelandness. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a lot different. Um, the area I just mentioned where that hotel was, yeah, was surrounded by stuff that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's part of the cool part about it. And I'm really hoping um, they asked uh, Jimmy and D in the uh, post draft uh, press conference if they thought, due to the COVID nature of this, if we could get back on the list. And they said basically yes, they're trying to do so. So, you know, I'm hoping that this just kind of continues on. And part of it was, yeah, I want to bring the kid out and show him Cleveland, even though Cleveland will look a lot different than I'll remember it. But yeah. I'm sure we still have the Eastside Market. I'm sure we still have, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and everything else. Right. Because I can see it. Uh, but yeah, there's still stuff. You know, I still want to go to. There's still a lot of things there I want to do. Um, I keep telling him about Mr. Hero, and he just doesn't buy into the idea <laughs> that it's as good as I say it is. But, you know, stuff like that. We still, you still get Cleveland. You know what, Jason? So one thing I did want to add real quick, Yeah. my background or whatever, notwithstanding, I thought that the drafts in Cleveland played remarkably well nationally. Yes. Just, just from what I'm seeing and not being able to be there. I thought it played remarkably well, and I'll go so far as to say I thought it looked like it was run way better than Chicago. And I'm not trying to pick a fight with Chicago. I'm just saying, if it's a question of does this happen again, I think the answer has to be yes, because it went so smoothly and so wonderfully, even with the bad uh, weather on the first day. I would tend to agree with that. And by the way, on the subject of Mr. Hero, I like to troll our good friend and fellow FEH Lounge dignitary, Russ Cohen, who lives in the greater Philadelphia area, about, hey, man, I can't wait for you to come back to Cleveland so you can have a real cheesesteak at Mr. Hero. <laughs> Russ, always, <laughs> Russ always says, I've had Mr. Hero, and it's good, but it's not as good as a Philly cheesesteak. So, yeah. yeah, that's a little bit of blasphemy there. But, Jason, if you're bringing, you know, you're bringing your boy back, you got you to gotta take the Swensons. I mean... You know, bring it up a notch. Take him to Swenson's while you're here. Oh, sure, yeah. There's nothing wrong. There's a long list of things we need to try. And while we're throwing out weird ones for any of our viewers that might be uh, traveling foodies or something, mm-hmm. and please, please don't ruin my weekend and tell me that it doesn't exist anymore. But somewhere in Valley View is a hole-in-the-wall place that's smaller than a coffee shop called Donatella's. Makes the single greatest Italian sub I've ever had in my life. And I would actually pay... I'll put you $50 for one at this point in my life. Don't know if it's there oh, or not. is amazing. Are they still there, Chris? Well, I don't know. I haven't been down in there in, in, in probably six or seven years, but I know exactly what he's talking about. Damn good sandwiches. Very good. And also, Jason, this is the same thing as when you go to see the in-laws at PA. 
Uh, the fact that you can go get food made to order from Sheets when you're here in Cleveland, just like when you're in Pennsylvania. <laughs> so I don't know. If, I'm just going to mention that, Rick. Yeah. Uh, we got out here in uh, just outside of Denver. We got an In-N-Out burger, okay. which is great for all the California transplants that like to tell us how great everything California is. And then we got news that Colorado Springs is getting a water burger, which is a big Texas thing. Yes. So in the vein of picking fights between people and what they like, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day that said, can we just get a Wawa's, please? And I said, listen here, buddy, you can have your Wawa's and you can keep them. Because Wawa's can't touch Sheets. That's right. And I'm still, I'm still waiting for the retaliation from that. I miss Sheets, man. That was Sheets is one of the, the tough things of having to go gluten-free as I did a couple of years ago. Their, their glutinous food is uh, very good. Uh, much like, uh, we would size this for a segue, much like the quarterback draft that some teams had, whether it be the Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence, the Morris Segway School still works. Uh, Travis, Trevor Lawrence to the Jaguars. Uh, Justin Fields to the Bears, who uh, have to go, went up and got him. Although uh, I've seen cynics say uh, a guy who came from a school that doesn't develop quarterbacks going to a team that doesn't develop them. So fingers crossed for him that they don't uh, ruin him. But uh, some of the other moves here, the the co-champions of silly season, uh, whether it be uh, Wilson or Lance going to the Jets and 49ers respectively, Mac Jones going to the 49ers. We all said ahead of time, there's no way. The 49ers were dumb enough to trade up the three for Mac Jones. We were all right about that. The rest of the world was wrong. That's what the rest of the world, quite frankly, gets for listening to Chris Sims. They got what they deserved, I would say. So I was wrong that Fields would go there. I didn't think it would be Fields, or I thought it would be Fields, rather, and not uh, Lance. But I was I was right. We were all right that it wasn't on that. and It was not going to be uh, Mac Jones. And Mac Jones to the Patriots, hey, I'm not a Mac Jones guy. But if you look at Brady back in the day, Mac Jones might have gone to the one place and the one guy that might be able to get something out of him, which is, I think, why he was so so happy, even though he fell like he did in the draft. So I'll start with you, uh, Chris. Your, your thoughts on this with the quarterbacks? Uh, there's there's at least two guys, the first two in the draft, where we knew where, where they were going. The other three, it was a mystery. So do you, do you have any agreements or disagreements with my characterizations of those five and where they went? No, I think you're spot on, and I think that, yeah, we we talked about this ad nauseum, and, and, and there were, you know, folks here and there in the media that also agreed that it just never made sense, the whole Mac Jones thing. Right. Um, you know, and, and people would say again and again and again, no, it's going to be Mac Jones, and I said, I hear what you're saying, and your sources are telling me, but my logical brain is telling me that doesn't make any sense. Look, it's a great opportunity for Trey Lance, right? I mean, he's going to he's going to a good organization. That's a good team. Right. He's not going to have to play this season. Right. He's going to get a whole year behind Garoppolo, trying to learn about how to be an NFL quarterback, learning the playbook. Um, that's the best situation for that young man. And I, I if you're Mac Jones, to your point, and you've got to fall to somebody, don't you? I mean. Falling to Bill Belichick's as good as it's going to get. Right. So, you know, he's used to that system. And he's used to that level of type of coaching after being in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he should feel right at home in Foxborough. And, you know, I don't know what to make of, of Chicago moving up for Justin Fields. I know why they did it. Because, um, you know, those guys weren't going to have jobs if they didn't do something. Right. Um, 
So, you know, I just hope for Justin's sake that there's patience. The coaches develop, you know, him, help him along. I haven't been terribly impressed with how Matt Nagy has handled any quarterback situation at this point. Right. Uh, so I think the jury is out on his ability to do that. And, and so from that standpoint, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little nervous for, for him. And, you know, I mean, uh, you know, the kids from BYU, I mean, look, you know, it's the Jets. I, who knows what's going to happen there, right? Right. I mean, uh, he gets a defensive coach, head coach, so that's probably not a great start. Right. Um, they improve. They improve the line, which you know, thankfully, hopefully, he doesn't get beat up uh, the way Darnold did in his first couple of years. So you know, he's. I guess you know, he's got a chance, but I still worry that it's the Jets. Yeah, and that, that's the only rational way to look at it. It is the Jets until proven otherwise, just like people would say it's the Browns until proven otherwise. So there is that burden of proof. Uh, the good news for Jets fans is you can look at our Browns and see that you can eventually make it through. I don't think they're doing it with Joe Douglas, but that's another story for another day, uh, I think. And, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, too, the 49ers, when we get the winners and losers, uh, I was looking at, and, and again, we have our post-draft wrap-up up on the main page of fantasydrafthelp.com. Uh, it's right there to check out. And uh, on our uh, list of uh, teams and how they did in the draft here, 49ers, to me, low-key, are a contender in the NFC again this season. I really like what they've done there. I think they're poised to pick up where they left off before they had the Super Bowl hangover season and everybody got hurt. So, yeah, going with Jimmy G makes all the sense in the world because they've been to a Super Bowl with him. I'm not sure they can win with one with him, but he's at least gotten them there. And quite frankly, they were up until they blew the game, so that's another story for another day. Maybe they can win it. Uh, but, yeah, they're better off as, as a veteran team riding with what they got this year, and then you can start to work Lance in. Uh, Jason, how do you see it with the big five quarterbacks? Uh, any agreements or disagreements with anything Chris and I laid out? Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you guys. Uh, the fun. This is this was a fun one for quarterbacks, quite frankly, because after the first round, it got thin fast. Sure. But let, let's just run through these real quick. Trevor Lawrence, maybe the most un uh, anticlimactic first round pick, number one overall ever. Right. I mean, he's been penciled in for three years, so yep. I don't even. We should just start the draft fifteen minutes later. Sure. But uh, Zach Wilson, great. He's another, you know, naturally. Good thrower. Right. Okay. So is Darnold. So what's what's different here? Right. Um, one thing is that Zach Wilson doesn't have the prototypical size, and I think he runs a little bit too much. But whatever. Uh, there's a whole other thing we can get into. There's nothing to do with football that I think is going to be a big problem in New York, but that's all other day. Uh, another conversation for another day. I think Trey Lance, if they're not going to take uh, Fields at three, is probably the only other move that makes any sense. Right. Because of what you guys described, you got Garoppolo, you don't have to throw him in the fire right away. And everyone that's anyone is saying, if you take away the fact he didn't play last year, but was one game, and go all the way back to 2019, he looks like the most impressive quarterback in the class. Right. So that's who you get if you're going to trade up to get a guy that you don't need right now. Right. So I have absolutely no issue with Trey Lance. When we got to three, meaning that Lawrence and Wilson are off the board, the only answer is Fields or Lance. So I'm fine with that pick. Uh, we'll get into some of their other picks later. But, um, Justin Fields to Chicago. On one hand, I love this. 
because Chicago has not had a chance to be optimistic about a quarterback for quite some time. Right. I really hope it works. But on the other hand, I would be absolutely remiss if I didn't tell you that I feel some sort of, not the domestic part, but feel a Deshaun Watson situation brewing where once he gets in there, I do feel like Fields is going to play well. But it's Chicago. So I feel like there might be a time where it's either going to be great and everything's wonderful and he's there for 15 years, or he's going to be demanding to get the heck out of Dodge at some point. Which brings us to Mac Jones, and yes, we can pound our chest on that one because, like Chris said, I don't care who you are and who you know and what information you're getting from whomever. At the end of the day, Mac Jones at three doesn't make sense. Yep. End of discussion. Uh, now, I like where we're going with this with the, the Tom Brady comparison, and I'm not for a second going to say that Mac Jones would be Tom Brady. But when you say remarkably intelligent, does not have your typical NFL body, right? is a naturally gifted thrower, which means meaning that you know it's easy for him. He has some good accuracy. He can put the ball in space. He can do it, and he can lead the receiver, do all these things. How on earth did I did not just describe Tom Brady as a prospect? Right. He's literally Tom Brady as a prospect as far as Belichick is concerned. The only difference is Brady was a backup that eventually started on a Michigan team that wasn't good. Right. And Matt Wilson was a high, highly recruited guy who went to the greatest team in the country at that point in time. So there's the difference. But other than that, prospect-wise, I can see why. Belichick was salivating over him, and it's all these national people and all the fan bases that kind of take me off about this, because at the last second, I made an about face and said, fine, maybe it won't be, even though it makes perfect sense, and lo and behold, it happens exactly as I predicted anyway. Sure. Well, by, by the way, uh, Jason, as you mashed up the names there a second ago of uh, Mac Jones and uh, Wilson, uh, Mac Wilson is actually a, an infuriating linebacker for the Browns who's never done anything except concuss Nick Chubb. Not that I'm bitter about that. <laughs> so, you just gave... Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm watching the Browns Steelers <laughs> wild card game on coaches tape at the moment, so my fault. <laughs> I just, you, you gave me an opportunity to hammer Mac Wilson again, which I can never do uh, <laughs> enough, but... Uh, as far as it goes, uh, yeah, in, in, in looking at the way that this all played out here, uh, the quarterbacks early on were going to be a big part of the early story uh, of the the draft here. And uh, moving through the first round, very, very interesting as far as uh, both the wide receiver position where uh, you knew the teams that were going to be in the mix. You knew the Dolphins were going to take somebody. It ends up being Waddle. The Bengals might have gone chase, or they might have gone for Sewell at, at uh, tackle. It ends up being chase as they put together the LSU combo again, and uh, hopefully Joe Burrow won't be running for his life next year. And then uh, Devontae Smith in a trade-up to the Eagles uh, here at 10. So you, you have a couple different things here. It shows you how much the, the most, in a, in a great wide receiver class, the three crown jewels, it shows you how much they were valued. I continue to say... Running back wise, uh, I'm not going to put them on the same level as running backs that those guys are as wide receivers. But guys that I think are going to be Pro Bowl backs in this league for a long time to come, I was completely infuriated to be right in my prediction here that Najee Harris would drop to the lucky Steelers who would benefit from all these teams passing on him, including my 1B team, uh, Miami, uh, who uh, it's hard to argue with Jalen Phillips, but I mean, 
Harris and ATN were right there. ATN goes to the Jaguars, where Urban Meyer is talking about using him as a third down back. I got the feeling it's going to be welcome to the NFL real early on for Urban Meyer with the start that he's off to. So, uh, Chris, I'll, I'll throw it to you as far as the, the, the way that we look at the other skill position players in the draft other than uh, quarterback here, as well as, by the way, a generational tight end uh, talent and Kyle Pitts going forward to the Falcons, which should be a great pick for them. Well, I think the reason we value quarterbacks so much now in the modern NFL and why it's so important to have a top-of-the-line signal caller is you need to look at the other side of that equation. Who are they throwing to? And I think I saw such a focus in, on by these teams on drafting receivers and you could throw Pitts in there, too, because he's kind of a hybrid. Yes. Uh, he might be the best wide receiver, quote-unquote, in the draft. So, you know, quarterbacks throw to somebody, and that somebody is is extremely important. And you've got to have guys that, that can separate, that can make plays after the catch, can take the top off a of defense. And you, so it's, it's to me, it's, it's like a no-brainer, right? A team that has a quarterback, now it's, okay, who are we throwing to? That's that's what the Bengals focused on, right? Last year they took T. Higgins. This year Jamar Chase re-upping, you know, bringing him back in with Burroughs, um, to, you know, put that tandem together again to try to rekindle what they did in college, knowing that they could get offensive line help elsewhere. You know, mm-hmm. that's the sort of new school versus old school argument you're seeing now in the NFL. So seeing the the the, the, the receivers, they've become a, they have become a priority um, asset for teams. You know, it's not a matter of just throwing two or three guys out there. You've got to have difference makers. And you saw that with these teams trying to find them. the Eagles, you know, trading with the Cowboys, you know, which, you know, there's an unholy alliance. Yes. You know, the Eagles and the Cowboys coming together to screw the Giants. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, they go and they get, you know, Devontae Smith, you know, the Giants, you know, again, Kadarius Tony. they go, they pick him because, listen, he's a playmaker, you know, he's speed. Even the Browns in their third-round pick, taking Anthony Schwartz, right. why did they take Anthony Schwartz? Fastest guy in the draft. He has good hands, and he's blazing fast, you know. At Auburn, he didn't learn how to beat a receiver very, very much, but that's why you have coaches in the NFL. They're going to have to coach him up. But that's why they took him. So, yeah, I mean, it's it, 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 the wide receivers are now a premium in the way the game is being played in, in the NFL. And, and the, the first round uh, bears that out. Absolutely. And it is, as we said, going into the draft. This is a golden age for wide receivers. Probably the greatest one in the history of the league because until the liberalization of 78, in, in terms of when they took away shots to the head, the five-yard chuck rule, etc. Uh, the, the game was much more jammed up relative to today uh, prior to that. And since 78, I mean, there hasn't been a crop of big-time wide receivers like the league had, even this past year, much less you throw these guys into the mix and it's going to be all the more crazy next year. So uh, in looking at it, uh, Jason, as far as the skilled position players, again, there there is – for obvious reasons, the prioritization of these mega big-time wide receivers here. That said, and, and as much as, again, I picked my spots on if I'm going to bash anybody in the media, but there was something called to my attention 
Uh, by the way, for anyone that doesn't believe that I'm an emotionally generous person, my bestie is a Steeler fan, okay? Enough said. But anyways, when I was putting over the Harris pick to him, he's like, well, CBS thought it was a dumb pick. They gave it a C. And I went there to see good old Pete Prisco giving it a C because, oh, he's great and he's this and he's that, but you shouldn't take a running back in the first round. So nice broad brush that you're painting there with Pete Prisco. Uh, not an accurate broad brush, of course, as they so rarely are. But uh, again, running backs, we don't tend to prioritize even when they're potentially great the way that Harris and ATN are. Wide receivers, obviously we can see them for what they are and somebody like Pitts when he comes along. So talk about that, Jason, with the fit on some of these skill position guys that are coming into the league this year. Well, I get it on some level with the Harris commentary because we, we all kind of came into this at whatever level you came in at, whatever year you started looking at the draft. And there has always been a sense of the rules of thumb. Right? You never take your running back in the first round. You always want to build from the lines out. You know, all these things come up, and that's fine. But the problem is, and this is one of the few times that I actually will give Tom a little bit of credit, and I don't remember what his exact quote was. Somebody said something about, why why go running back in the first round? And he said, hey, I don't subscribe to the notion that you can't take a running back in the first round. Sure, obviously. And some, something to the effect of, we were staring at the number one running back on the board, and we have a dramatic need at running back. We also have a need at you know, offensive line, linebacker, and all these others. But we have an opportunity to take the number one running back who projects to be a workhorse starter, or we could have taken the fourth best offensive tackle. We could have taken the fifth best you know, defensive pass rusher. So what are we talking about? <laughs> now, if... Najee Harris was the eighth-rated running back, and they took him there. Then we got a problem, right? But nothing wrong with that pick. Um, as much as I hate that team, that is what I would have done. Sure, uh, it's why I put them. That's why I projected them to do just that, right? Um, now, as far as the rest of this goes, there's a nice little crossover because for the same reason that people are, are giving the Steelers grief for taking Harris at 24. Let's move back up the first round because I said to you when it happened, almost as if I was apologetic like you were in a bad spot <laughs> when Miami takes Waddle at, uh, what was it, six? Six, yeah. So Waddle at six, and that's with only Jamar Chase off the board, which everyone pretty much understood was the consensus number one wide receiver yeah. in the class. Then you get the very, you know, the very next pick, and I'm thinking, hey, you've got a speedy, short, Big chunk playmaker, or you have a prototype number one type in Devontae Smith, and I know that most of the fan base wanted Devontae Smith, and I'm all for that. But for a moment there, I, I actually kind of went, wow, why'd they reach like that? <laughs> and it's almost laughable because this is what happens. The league evolves. Right. And we are now finding that guys like, uh, oh, geez, uh, Tyreek Hill. Yeah who was born of guys like Deshaun Jackson and so on. Right. We are just now in a place where if your physical ability is high enough, it, we can forgive things like height or wingspan and things like that. Right. That's exactly where we are with this. And yeah, to some degree, there's a COVID dynamic in this draft. I mean, teams did not have the ability to, to really get in at the combine because there wasn't one. Uh, the medical was 
probably much slimmed down compared to what it's been in the past. So there, there was going to be some level of value isn't as literal as we think it might be. But when we're talking about these players, the, the receivers are sick. Now, I think we have had some drafts in the recent past where the depth is better. The, the ceiling for these guys you're getting in the second, third, fourth, and fifth rounds was a little bit better. But that being said, you can't ask for a better wide receiver crop in the, you know, in the first 50 picks. And then depending on what you want, as Chris alluded to with uh, Cleveland taking Schwartz, when they picked Schwartz, I was looking at the field going, there's some other more polished receivers. But that's the whole point, is they weren't looking for a polished receiver. We have polished receivers. And polished receivers and good coaching can help a guy who just happens to have something in him that is desirable for your offense. We've worked on the other stuff, which is why picks like Jalen Waddle and then later in the third round, and we've got some others that aren't necessarily Cleveland specific, really kind of are graded now as real good positive. Whereas in the past, you would have said, well, why did you take the 5'10", 190-pound receiver that can run almost 4'3 flat when you could have taken the 4'5 guy that's at least 6'3 and 225? Very so, good. It's just different now, but I think the skill positions that were in this draft are going to prove to be incredible, especially in the first two days. I think so, and what you said about this, I want to throw it to Chris in a second here as a follow-up in terms of the, because I agree with what you said about the the process for this draft, the second consecutive COVID one that we saw. I want to say first, though, that with Schwartz in here, with the possibility right off the bat of doing jet sweeps to this guy, if you didn't think that Chubb and Hunt, as great as they are, had it easy enough with that offensive line, uh, how much more loosening up front is there going to be when teams got to worry about this this little guy uh, going out there taking the jet sweeps there? Good luck ever trying to stop Chubb and Hunt from now until uh, at least the end of this season, uh, and, and, and hopefully they'll all still be here uh, beyond that. But uh, as far as it goes, uh, Chris, Jason just made a point there, and it's something that you've made on and off the air, and this is one that I agree with as well, and that I think, because again, I have always been, whether it be in the NBA, the NFL, whatever, I'm very, very critical of silly season. Guys shooting way up the board, way down the board for things that happen after the season. Now look, if guys blow it, if you show up fat at the combine, or you get busted with hookers and blow, that's one thing. But the whole thing of like, what we saw on tape isn't what we saw on tape, or this is more important than that. I've never, ever, ever been sympathetic to that whole tripe. So I think that, uh, you know, I certainly agree with, you know, what you guys are saying on this, Chris. And I think that we're going to come to find out that more might have been less uh, as, as far as, or I'm sorry, less is more, I should say, when it comes to this as far as the evaluation process and teams not getting the opportunity to shoot themselves in the foot by overthinking. Well, not to raise Jason's ire, but I would say that after three years, after three years after our pandemic draft, <laughs> I would love to do a study and see how teams did with less information, no combines, less medical. had to rely, and I made this point last year, and they had to rely on what they watched on the field, in college, on the tape. And it wasn't about who's a workout warrior, et cetera, et cetera. It was about what did they actually do on the field. And I'd be, I'd be very curious to see if 
if teams drafted better uh, last year and this year um, versus what they would sort of fool them, you know, fool's gold, if you will, fools, fool themselves into doing in, year, in years past because a guy looks so great in shorts running around in Indianapolis or, can, you know, he, he can jump just, you know, one half inch higher than, than they ever thought he could. So I, I'm really looking forward to in a couple of years being able to look back and say, okay, how did they do? Was it really all the sky is falling like they claim? Or is it because they looked at the tape and spent more time on that, the things that actually matter, they actually made smarter and better picks? Um, I, I have a suspicion that that's going to be the case. Uh, we'll see. All of that being said, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it is going to be interesting to see what now happens? We're seeing changes into the off-season program with teams. Um, obviously, the players are trying to push back, peel back all the off-season workouts, the voluntary workouts. They now want to push back on all the mandatory mini camps and everything. None of it by pointing at the success of last year, how there was basically no off-season and you know very little drop-off in terms of performance. Um, and, and I don't know, I haven't seen a study yet on injuries, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the soft tissue injuries that we talked about last year before the season certainly showed up in the first six weeks that we were very concerned about by not having the off-season programs. So it's going to be different. You know, what do they do in the future? Do, is, do we go back to the old, the old way with the scouting and the, and the combine and all the rest of it? Or is that, is that stuff going to go the way of the dodo? Chris, I want to follow up uh, here to, by asking you a, a question on this to think about this a little bit. You being a guy that's a Cowboys honk, what are your thoughts on this? The fact that essentially what's being challenged here 30 years after the point is essentially the culture in the NFL created by Jimmy Johnson. He's the one who basically pioneered the whole, well, you don't necessarily have to show up for voluntary uh, stuff in the offseason. Then again, you don't necessarily have to make the roster next year. So this is basically the whole Jimmy Johnson culture that's on the line here, I think. It is. And and I think that also, you know, whether we like it or not, these kids today, and I say kids because these are 20-year-old men, 21-year-olds, you know, these are people, you know, the Browns drafted Greg Newsom, who is the first Cleveland Brown now to have been born in, in, after the year 2000. You know, we these they're not like older generations, you know? And so I wonder if a lot of the change, potentially the off-season workouts and all the rest of that, is really going to be a generational thing. Look, I mean, you could, it's easy to make an argument that you don't need it, right? I mean, Kevin Stefanski comes in, gets no off-season time, no workout time, barely gets a training camp to put in, in place a new system with his players. And think about all the new players the Browns had on top of that last year. Um, and then it turns around and goes 12 and six, gets a playoff win, uh, becomes coach of the year and does all of that with none of the old, you know, to your, to your, as you would say, the old Jimmy Johnson program. Right. Yeah. That's, none of it. yeah, that's interesting. So if, if, if you can, you can honestly say, well, well how valuable is minicamp? How valuable is voluntary rookie, blah, blah, blah. Does it really matter? I mean, clearly, it, it didn't seem to last year, and to, you know, to the players' point. Now, I think the coaches obviously would like to have some more time with their guys than none. 
um, which apparently the, you know is what the players are trying to drive towards. But you know, I I think there's gonna there's definitely gonna be some change there, and that's gonna get played into the scouting and other stuff. And I think it's gonna become more important what you did on the field than what you do, you know, in shorts and a t-shirt in a weight room. Uh, in Indianapolis. Well, that's a, that's a utopia we should all want to live in, where uh, what you do on the field is what matters most. And uh, toward that end, uh, Jason, uh, your your thoughts on this, on uh, any potential evolution here, as far as uh, whether it be off season uh, regiments getting modified, uh, lessons that we may draw subsequently from uh, the lack of combine and other type things uh, being a part of the draft process, etc. Well, the interesting thing about this idea of revisiting this draft three years later, specifically under the lens of how COVID affected things Mm -hmm. without even looking at any data or even assuming what that would look like. I got to say my hunch is that I think we're going to find that we were overanalyzing surprise, surprise. And that in actuality, less information actually works out better and maybe the solid influx of extra medical and combine this and pro day that just muddied the waters uh so my hunch is that we'll probably find some of this stuff isn't necessary and if anything we're better without it but whether they you know the nfl is full of a lot of old school minded people yep they may just insist we got to go back but um i you know i think like a lot of things, we're hoping that once we get out of all of the real bad stuff of COVID, like people being sick, um, that we can go back and look at it and say, Look, there were some positives that came out of this, a recalibration of how we are. Like, I'll tell you right now, having nothing to do with football, mm-hmm. uh, I don't run errands the same anymore, and I'm not going back to the old way. Mm-hmm. I'm much quicker and efficient with it uh, just because I don't want to keep going back out. Right. Uh, so I'm hoping football has a similar sort of effect. You know, that maybe, I don't get me wrong, I love football and I still want to watch the combine, but if we got to the place where NFL executives and analysts and scouting department people just didn't put as much stock in the measurables and, and, and all these things and really kind of focus back on tape, I think that would just be better for everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Can we all gain efficiencies coming out of this thing, whether in the NFL or not? That's a very good point on your part, Jason. 